Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. So Merry Christmas, everyone. It's so good to see those of you that are here and those of you joining on live stream. Merry Christmas to you. Um, Some of you know this, but usually in our home, the right home, all the periphery aspects of Christmas, like the Christmas tree and the Christmas decorations, those all come down on Christmas Day at 6 p.m. I know it's weird. We love Jesus, but the decorations just have to go. Um, But I'm happy to tell you that that little right tradition did not happen this year. Our Christmas tree and our Christmas decorations are still up, and it's feeling a little odd. You know, we got up this morning, and I was like, oh, wow, this feels different. But, but the Christmas music, Christmas tunes are still going, and those will keep going for a while. I know Pastor Brett and I are dissimilar in that regard. He doesn't feel strongly one way or another about Christmas music so weird. I think it's an age thing, probably. But, but I love Christmas music. I'm like, give me all the Christmas music all the time. Earlier this month, um, the board and staff, we had a Christmas party. And one of the, part, the activities that Pastor Wayne and Lori prepared, it was um, called Hum a Christmas Tune. And so we were all given slips of paper with the name of a Christmas song. And the thought of it was that you had to sing ho, ho, ho to the tune of that song, right? So, and it was for like 30 seconds. So just before this game started, I left the room and I came back in and they were like on song number six. And when I looked at Rob's paper, because we were playing in pairs, When I looked at Rob's paper, he only figured out two songs. Guys, I was equally shocked and disappointed. I'm like, we have been training for this for 20 years. 20 years. We play Christmas music from December 1st all the way up to the end of December. And you've only figured out two songs. It did not help that Pastor Brett was also helping him, so I think that was also why they didn't do, they didn't do that well. But I'm happy to say I got him back in the game. We did not win, but we tied for second place with Becky and Nat McLaren, so I am happy that we at least got back on the board. Now, there are a few Christmas songs that tug at my heart. The music, the words, the... Um, compositions, the tunes, there's a lot of them that really, you know, burn something in me. And so today's message is called, Oh, Come, Let Us. I know you're probably thinking, Oh, Come, Let Us Adore Him, and Pastor Wayne sang that earlier, and I do love that Christmas song. When I listen to that, I hear the angel saying, Oh, Come, Let Us Adore Him. You see, adoring God alone is great, but adoring him together is even better. So, oh, come, let us adore him. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. This isn't a Christmas message. I was kind of like, do we do a Christmas message? It's the day after Christmas. So I was so confused, but I think God gave me exactly what we need to hear as a church today. 
So turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. It'll be also on the screen. I sound very loud to myself. Am I loud? Okay. Can we turn it down a bit? Thank you. (laughs) Sorry, live stream. If you're not hearing it, just put it in the chat and we'll get it boosted again. Okay. Verse 19. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Oh, come, let us. Today I'll be focusing on the three corporate invitations in those verses. And if you were reading along, you probably knew as I was reading it, I paused a little at those spots, so hopefully you were following along. But before we get to the invitations, I want to review with you verses 19 to 22. You see, in verse 19 to 22, we are reminded that we can respond to the invitations that follow because of what we celebrate and commemorate this time of year. You see, Christ was sent to find us and bring us back home. Because he came to earth as a baby and walked and did life with men, taught them how to live their life to the fullest, and then died and became a bridge back to the Father, we have the confidence to approach his throne. Confidence is a state of being clear-headed. Either that a hypothesis or prediction is correct, or that a chosen course of action is the best or most effective. I am a confident Scrabble player. Anytime our friends come over, or if the family is let's play Scrabble, I am confident I will win. Now, I don't always win, but we never keep those scorecards, and we pretend those games never happened, but a large percentage of the time, I win. And so, I am confident that I can see words from random letters. In the Old Testament, approaching the holy place was done once a year and only by a high priest. There was an elaborate process to get him ready for that annual experience. Access to God in the Old Testament, access to the Holy of Holies was severely restricted. Now today, we still serve a holy God. But because of his death, approaching his throne is easier and more accessible. We can do so boldly. The writer of Hebrews extends these three invitations to make our corporate Christian walk 
more fulfilling. So let's go. The first, let us. Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The first invitation is, oh, come, let us draw near to God. Rob and I recently attended a Christmas party at the Granite Club. Now, the Granite Club is a a venue in Toronto, and they profess to be Canada's premier private private family athletic recreation and social club. Guys, it is she-she-poo-poo. It is not like your average local recreation and community leisure center. You know a place is expensive when you go onto their website and there are no prices listed. So I went, I'm like, how much is it to be a member at this place? Yep, no. If you have to call or email or meet with somebody to get a marketing spiel, to get access to the price list, you know it's out of the average person's budget. Anyway, so we're at this venue for a party and we get there early Ask me after why we got there early. That's a whole other story. But we get there early, and so the host tells us, he's like, you can either walk around and explore, or you can sit in the hall and just wait. Um, So we decided to walk around and explore. First of all, to get into the Granite Club, it felt like we had to show everything just shy of our mortgage documents. So I am like, if they have all of this information on me, I am going to explore. So we walked and we checked out all of the rooms. It was so beautiful, this place. And then we sat in one of their great rooms because we did a lot of walking. I was wearing heels and I was tired by the end of it. But that evening, we walked and explored with confidence because we were invited, vetted, and given permission to be there. Our experience at the Granite Club that that day was very different from what the high priest did in the holy place. They would do what they had to do, get in and get out. They did their job and left. But today, we, you, those watching on live stream, we can all draw near to God because of what Jesus did. The invitation has been extended. The vetting process is complete and permission has been granted. We can draw near to him and linger for as long as we want. The second invitation, verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. So another reason I love reading the Bible is because I'm a words girl. And like that whole sense, unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. I love scripture. Anyway, so the second one is, oh, let us hold unswervingly to hope because he who has promised is faithful. Earlier, I talked about my love for carols. And another carol that I love is, oh, holy night. Specifically this line, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. So can we talk a little bit about hope right now? 
Now, I don't know about you, I think Pastor Wade alluded to it a bit this morning, but 2021 felt a little more difficult than 2020. It felt like, you know, we were all struggling with the aftermaths. You know when there's an earthquake and then there's aftershocks? (laughs) I feel like 2021 was the aftershock after the earthquake that was 2020. Um, Adam Grant, he's a writer, he wrote an article for the New York Times, and it's titled, There's a Name for the Blah You're Feeling. It's called Languishing. In it, he said, Languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield, and it might be the dominant emotion of 2021. Now, hope. Hope is one of those words that we tend to use very loosely. And I would argue that probably over the last couple of years, we probably used hope a lot. You know, I hope this goes away soon. I hope the numbers stay low. I hope the kids recover from this interruption to life as they know it. I hope we can keep church open. I hope people return. We hope Toronto, a Toronto sports team will win a championship once again. Now, with this type of hope, we're uncertain about the outcome. And people, as the saying goes, they cross their fingers and they hope for the best. Now, this type of everyday hope is in direct contrast to biblical hope. The hope we have in Christ, the hope that the writer of Hebrew is encouraging us to hold fast to, is not simply a desire or wishful thinking. The Bible's use of hope conveys an entirely different meaning. Biblical hope is confident expectation. In the Christmas story, Mary had hope in the first chapter of Luke. After the angel told Mary the news that she would give birth to Jesus, Mary's response was, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary expected and anticipated giving birth to Jesus. Dare I say that Mary continued to have hope while raising Jesus. Have you ever wondered what those first few years was? It was like, you know that this baby is going to do something big. I know just as as a mom, you're like, is he still breathing? Is she still breathing? You know, imagine knowing you have given birth to the Messiah. What was her every moment like? Mary had hope. The wise men also had hope. These men men traveled for over 2,000 kilometers on a camel. It would take more than wishful thinking and them thinking, I hope we find Jesus for them to commit to that journey. They expected and anticipated finding Jesus. They even brought him gifts. The shepherds, they too had hope. When the angels announced Jesus' birth to them, Luke 2.16 says, So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. The shepherds expected and anticipated finding Jesus. Hope, by definition, includes a waiting period. Because what is hoped for has not yet happened. For centuries, the people of God waited for the arrival of the promised Messiah. Generation after generation, they waited. 
And the more they waited, the longer they waited, the more weary they became. For 400 years, God's people did not hear a word or see anything about what was promised to them. And then one day, an angel appeared to Mary and told her the good news, and that is the thrill of hope. Is anybody here waiting for something? Are you weary from waiting? 400 years was how long they waited. Now, here are some random facts about hope in the Bible. There are 180 mentions of hope. It's fairly evenly split across both Testaments. 97 in the Old and 83 in the New. In the Old Testament, Psalms wins with the most mentions at 34. And Job is next with 18. Now, we get Psalms. Psalms is a very encouraging, inspiring book. But Job is all about pain and loss and suffering. Yet hope is mentioned over and over again. Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. In the New Testament, Romans wins with 14. To me, that makes sense because it's a book about Christian living. I am a young person, youngish, but an older person at heart. And one of my favorite hymns is Standing on the Promises of God. Every time um, I'm hopeful about something, this song comes to mind. It's standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God, I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Friends, hope is the proper response to God's promises. One of the mentions of hope in Romans that I love and that gets me excited is Romans 4.18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Abraham dared to believe because of what was promised to him. When we know how the story ends, the journey should be easier. And one of God's greatest gifts to us is hope. His promises are designed to inspire hope. So that, oh come, let us hold to hope. Because he who has promised is faithful. The third invitation, verses 24 to 25 Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Oh, come, let us consider how we may spur one another on and not give up meeting together. Now, this is a big one, so get comfortable. We're going to do it in like two little pieces. So the first piece is, oh, come, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That word consider, do you ever do anything without considering it? I mean, for those of us who are healthy, we walk without considering it. 
We digest food without considering it. We breathe without considering it. There are certain things we just do, things that we don't need to give much attention to. But there are things that we need to consider, things that we need to give careful thought and attention to. For me, it will be like how to, considering how to nurture my marriage, how to encourage my sons in ways that they individually receive it, shopping for gifts, giving words of encouragement, preparing this message. These are all things that require thought and attention. So when I see consider right away, I know that what is coming next needs my careful thought and attention. Let's talk about spur. Spur is a noun and a verb. As a noun, we most commonly know it as the spikes on a rider's heel to encourage the horse to move forward. As a verb, it means to urge, to incite to action, to stimulate. So the thing about spur is that it too suggests intentional, active action. So like consider, spurring on isn't something that's just going to happen. It is something that requires a whole lot of intentionality. In the best sense of the word, we should live lives that are provocative to other believers. Others should be reminded of spiritual truths because of how we live our lives. We should incite and provoke and stimulate each other to godliness. There's a quote that I love. It says, if you hang out with me for too long, I will brainwash you into believing in yourself and knowing you can't achieve anything. So another one, I'm going to make everything around me beautiful. That will be my life. Can you, can we have a similar goal? How about we make it a goal to help others become the best version of themselves by encouraging them to draw nearer to their creator? When people leave our presence, they should feel inspired to move, to act, to step out into their calling and their purpose. Do you handle yourself in a way that provokes others to seriously apply what the Bible teaches? Is your advice to others provocative enough to get them to see Jesus in their situation or to listen to what God is saying to them? Or is your advice likable and shallow? I'm so thankful for my friends and family and spiritual parents in this church who provoke me to live a more fruitful spiritual life. This is how we spur one another on. Let us be intentional about provoking, in a good sense, others to godliness. Number two, not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, the let us in this case is implied because it's a continuation from verse 24. So let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, this is probably going to be some spur action here. I'm going to be provocatively stimulating you towards godliness. Okay, I know the pandemic has knocked the winds out of our sails, and life as we know it was turned upside down. The forced isolation, and for extended periods of time, has made it difficult to want to return consistently to a corporate gathering. I get it. 
At the end of the day, when I get home, the last thing I want to do is go out again. So that's why you get the kids their license as soon as they possibly can, because they still enjoy driving and they will go and do all the things for you. Right? But you can't do that with church. So guys, listen, are you still going to love me after this? Okay, good. So there's a word in that verse that I find interesting. It's called, the, the word is habits. Our life is made up of many habits. Good habits, bad habits. Most things that we do are habits. The stores we shop at, the days we shop on, the, the shows we watch, the um, podcasts we listen to, those are all habits. Gathering with people as a church is also a habit. Not gathering with people as a church is also a habit. Now, before I go further, I know for some there are legitimate reasons why you cannot gather. And I get that. But this provocative stimulation to love and good deeds are for those who can and have not made it a priority. Christianity is not a faith which God intended to be lived out alone. Gathering with others is an essential part of what we do. It's an essential part of being a believer. There are ways we can serve each other when we're together that we can't do when we're apart. A couple Sundays ago, someone walked in and I can visibly tell that something wasn't right. So I asked them, I was like, hey, are you okay? They said, yes, I'm okay. And me being Trisha, you guys know me. I was like, hey, are you okay? Because I can see that you're not okay. So then they told me what was up. And together we had a time of encouragement and prayer. And those are things that we can't do when we're apart. Those are things that we can't do with those who are watching on live stream. I love you guys, but I can't even tell if you're doing okay today. This building that we're in, this isn't the church. The church are those of us who are gathered here today, gathered together. God saved us as individuals to be a body, a corporate assembly. In Deuteronomy 9 verse 10, Moses referred to the day the Israelites gathered at Mount Sinai as the day of assembly. And many times after that, the nation gathered as an assembly. The word in the Greek translation for the Old Testament for day of assembly is ecclesia. And it is the same word that the New Testament writers use when referring to the local church. In the New Testament, there wasn't a synagogue or tabernacle or building or any other meeting place that was referred to as the church. The term always referred to the Christian assembly. It was used for both the local community as well as the overall body of believers. This is the definition of ecclesia. It is defined as a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place. So the out of their homes bit is really interesting to me because this means that the people gathered at a specific spot outside of their place of residence. Now, I know that there were home churches back then and whatnot, but I'm not about splitting hairs. The fact is that they gathered with real live human beings in a real live place. And no one can absolutely argue that they likely did that because they lacked technology. And if they did... 
I would ask you, do any of the other commands of the Bible change because of the technology that we have today? Nehemiah 4, verse 19 to 20, it says, Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Even though the men were widely dispersed while building the wall, Nehemiah strategically planned that when the trumpet would sound, they would gather in one spot and be able to fight the attack. The call to gather was primarily for strength. There was strength in their numbers. But the gathering together was also beneficial for emotional and spiritual reasons. Emotionally, each man, each family saw that they weren't alone. When they looked around, they could see other families there with them. And spiritually, they, it, they gathered because God would fight for them. God's presence when they were together was their greatest hope and encouragement to continue the work. During the time of the early church, uh, believers would meet in public places. Their gathering was visible to unbelievers and to people who had questions. So I wonder if they did not come out of their homes, would the church have grown as rapidly as it did? Gathering with others takes effort and intentionality. And this is why it needs to be a habit. Because unless we make it a habit, we can make any amount of excuses for it not to happen. In 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen, we see when you come together as a church. To me, that means that it was never a question about if we should. It is when we should. There's great work to be accomplished when we're together. 1 Corinthians 12 Uh, 12 to 14, it says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, free or slave, slave or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. We know that every believer has a function in the church, in the ecclesia, in the assembly of believers, just as our different body parts have different functions. The idea of being removed from a group of people and simply listening to worship or listening to a sermon is not supported anywhere in scripture. In the natural world, transplant surgeons must remove key organs like kidneys, livers, and hearts from donors within 30 minutes of death and get them into recipients within six hours. Why? Because these organs cannot continue to live without being inside of a body. I've read that individual cells can remain alive for some time 
after the body as a whole has died, but they will eventually die off as a result of starvation, hypoxia, or metabolic poisoning. The comparison of the church, the ecclesia, the assembly of believers to a body was not one that was done haphazardly. Your function as a Christ follower is best when you're connected to others. The way God designed our bodies is a model for us to understand our lives as a church, an ecclesia, an assembly of believers. Every part depends on another part. If one part does well, the entire thing flourishes. Encouraging one another and being encouraged by others are both equally beneficial to our lives as Christ followers. Martin Luther, I saw this quote. It says, at my home, in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered, well, we can't do it by multitudes anyway, but more than one, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, the corporate invitations are there for us to better our Christian walk. Our spiritual well-being is a community thing. We need each other. We need each other, each other on a deliberate and regular basis. Together, we make each other better. There's a song maybe from about 10 years ago. It's an R&B song. But the words are good. Listen to it. It says, I'm a movement by myself, but I am a force when we're together. I'm good all by myself, but you, you make me better. Some of you may not know, but I was in self-isolation because I came into a close contact with a positive case almost two weeks ago. Don't worry, I tested negative, and I got my, free, my freedom papers yesterday at 12 a.m., It was a Merry Christmas indeed. There was so much I had to get done for Christmas, and that just didn't get done because I couldn't do anything. I purchased a few gifts for my nieces and nephews, but nothing much for our boys or anybody else for that matter. There was no Christmas grocery shop. There was nothing. It was a bit hard on the entire family. But I couldn't imagine doing the last couple weeks with young children. You see, young children can be very egocentric. Um, There's a Swiss developmental uh, psychologist. His name is Jean Piaget. He studied children, and he developed the theory of cognitive development. His theory suggests that intelligence changes as children grow. And so the cognitive development that occurs, it happens as children interact with others and environmental events, and as they pass through a series of changes. He found that between the ages of two and seven, children are the most egocentric, meaning they have difficulty seeing outside of their own viewpoints, which is different from being selfish, but kind of the same. So if at Christmas time I had young children, like during this week, and they expected gifts and there weren't any, they would probably not be able to process that very well. But as children grow, as they start to understand other viewpoints, and as an older child is better able to make sense of situations. In my case, our sons know that Christmas is more than just gifts, and they understood that me having to isolate was nothing that I wanted to do or it was not intentional. 
So there was a grace, understanding, and unity to help keep things running, even though we couldn't do the regular Christmas prep. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Friends, as we mature in our faith, as we mature in our relationship with God and each other, life should become less egocentric. It should become less focused on us and our needs and more about who needs us, who we can spur on, who we can encourage. Oh, come let us is a corporate call because we are better together. As I close out this year, I want to encourage you how to consider how you can be more intentional about how you church, how you gather, how you contribute to the assembly of believers. You see, the closer we draw to Jesus, the easier it'll be to draw to other people. We'll consider the fear of rejection or the fear of not being understood or accepted less And we'll lean into encouraging each other. You guys know this fall we did an alpha program here. It was a small group. And one, when you look at the group of people, you would be like, there aren't very many similarities among these people. But at the end of the three months we spent together, this small and from all outward appearances mismatched group, we became a small tribe. We learned together, we joked with each other, we encouraged and we prayed for each other. We even disagreed on some topics. But for those three months, life felt richer because it was shared with others. So as I close today, and as this is the last sermon of 2021, I really want to encourage us all to grow up, first of all. (laughs) to be less selfish in what we do and how we move and how we participate in the body. And guys, I know I said that and I said it jokingly and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, but we all need each other in order to complete the jobs that we have to do. Being isolated was forced on us. You know, at the time when the Hebrew writer wrote this, the the Jews were, um, were experiencing persecution, and so they began to separate from the church. Many of us could say this is exactly what we are experiencing today. But I want to encourage us that corporate Christianity, corporate serving of God is where it's at. We need each other. We need each other on a deliberate, intentional basis. And we need to gather with people. Do not be comfortable with worshiping from home. It's not how God intended us to live. Okay, that's it. You guys love me still? All right. So um, I just, before, if we can just, Dad, if you want to come back up and Pastor Wayne is going to lead, oh, come let us adore him. And let's sing that as 
a body. Let's sing it. Oh, come, let us adore him. Because as I started out, adoring him alone is great. But when we do it together, that's when the magic happens. Do you still love Pastor Trish? (laughs) Would you join in standing? We're just going to worship as we just sing this song again. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him oh come let us adore him Christ the Lord sing that again oh come let us adore let's sing it to him oh come let us adore him oh come worthy for he alone is worthy for he alone is worthy for he alone is worthy Christ we'll give him all the glory we'll more time. Oh, come, let us adore. Just our voice. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, So, Father, we do give you the glory. Lord, the emphasis is that we're to come and to not forsake the gathering together. Lord, help us, oh God, this new year to make a resolution, a resolution to not forsake our brothers and our sisters together. That, Lord, we would come, we would be a part of. As was mentioned earlier, Lord, it's, we are thankful for the technology, but Lord, we help us to re-engage this year in a way that we haven't for some time. Maybe in a way we never engaged. Lord, even forgive us. Forgive those of us who said at the beginning of this, oh, well, I look forward to being away from people because I'm an introvert. God, forgive us because we were never meant to be in isolation. We were meant to be in community. I need to give of myself to others 
Because if fruit is growing in me, I can't eat my own fruit and I can't do it by myself. And if fruit is growing in others, they can't eat their own fruit. The purpose of fruit is somebody gets to enjoy it, but it's not us. So Lord, we desire to have the fruit of the Spirit flow among one another. That Lord, we consume each other. We are blessings to one another. We are the church. The church is more than one. And so, Lord, as we look into this new year, God, we call forth your church again to rise up in strength and with a fresh anointing with Christ as our cornerstone in this new year. That, God, we would be you to one another and that we would be you to the world around us. So, Lord, thank you for that. Go with each today. Your blessings be upon each one. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Merry Christmas again. The Lord bless you as you go. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.